My name is Steve Foster. I'm the pitching coach for the Colorado Rockies, and I want to talk to you briefly about how hard it is to hit a curveball thrown by a pitcher. Um, a curveball breaks straight down 12 to 6 on the arms of a clock, 12 to 6, it goes straight down. So for the hitter, a lot of times he sees and, and picks up the spin of the ball and has to see and figure, uses imagination to where the ball is going to finish. So it's a guessing game, but it's a hypothesis. It's an educated guess because they, the hitter's got to know if they see the ball spinning up here, where it's going to finish. So it takes a lot of imagination, a lot of guesswork, and it's probably the toughest pitch in baseball to hit. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Chase Oaks Church Online, wherever you are, uh, literally all around the world. I know most of you are probably in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the North Dallas area. We're glad you are. But wherever you are, we're glad that you're part of the Chase Oaks experience. And I know that many of you, in fact, thousands of you are new to our church since uh, all this has started, since we've uh, right now are an online church and we're so glad that you have joined us. And, and we've gotten some questions. Hey, how do you join the church or how do you, you know, become part of it? And we don't have a formal membership. We're a come as you are church. There is no bar of entry at all. And so if you want to be part of us and be a Chase Oaker, it just really means you th- saying, OK, God, I'm open to whatever you want to do. And I, I, I'm going to be on this journey with you in, in this church. So welcome to Chase Oaks. And, and I know many of you are trying to figure it out as well, and we're glad you're, you're in that part of your journey with us. And I want to say to those of you who are new, if I haven't met you yet, at the end of the service today, we're going to have, or after the service, an after party, a Zoom after party. You'll hear more about that and uh, just be an opportunity to uh, connect a little bit. Today, uh, just as we saw, we're starting a new series called How to Hit a Curveball. And it's so cool to have Steve Foster, a major league pitching coach, to help us out how to hit a curveball. In two more weeks, he's going to help us know how to throw a curveball. So if, uh, if, if get, be ready for that with your family or whatever, get some balls and all that and, and for, uh, not next week, but the week after that to learn how to do that. But hitting a curveball is a really hard thing to do. In fact, statistically, I've heard that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. And since the curveball is the hardest pitch to hit, I think you could say, that hitting a curveball and learning how to hit a curveball is the hardest thing to do in sports. But that's also true in life. And the thing about life in a world, a broken, fallen world like we live in, is life will guarantee that you and I will have our share, will have our share of curveballs. And so that's what this series is about, is we're going to be looking at different Bible characters, different people in the Bible that God helped learn how to hit the curveballs that life threw at them. And, and, and it's not just the pandemic. I mean, that's the big curveball we're facing and all the implications. There's plenty of curveballs in this pandemic that all of us are facing. But even after this, we're, there's going to be more curveballs in, in our relationships and our emotions and our mental health and our finances and all that. So we want to learn how to it, take, the, take this opportunity to learn how to um, learn how to hit a curveball well. And before we jump into our first character and our first big principle, I do want to say this to you as a church. And that is collectively with this coronavirus curveball, I want to say way to go. Because I believe that for those of you who are really engaged, uh, you're hitting it out of the park. 
as I've heard stories of how you've come around each other in our church as people have had new needs now and you've come around each other, our church has been able to help a number of individuals in need in our church and outside of our church as you've come around outreach opportunities uh, that you just heard about a little bit ago. Uh, with your generosity, you're just you're just killing it and knocking it out of the park at a difficult time. God is still very, very much at work. And so thank you uh, for being such a great team and being used by God. We do want to look at, well, individually, how do we do, how do we learn how to hit a curveball? And today we're focused on an Old Testament Bible character named Job. And maybe you've heard of this phrase, the patience of Job. It's from a New Testament passage we'll also be looking at, because today we're talking about patience, that if you and I are going to learn how to hit a curveball, it takes a lot of patience. And of all the character qualities that you need to hit curveballs in life, patience may be right at the top. And the hard part about that is that patience is hard to get. Uh, at least it is for me. And, and I see that in a lot of surveys. A lot of times people, you know, I've seen these things of all these character qualities and people say, well, of all these character qualities, which one would you love to gain more of? Uh, almost always when I see those patience is at the top, because, again, it's just rare and difficult. We all want to be more patient. I felt that the other day I had to drive somewhere. I mean, we're not driving many places now, but I had to drive somewhere. And so I was driving and I sense God as I was driving. I sense God leading me. God you know, does that sometimes. A strong sense of his leading to pull into Chick-fil-A. And and so I, you know, and, and by the way, I think it's not just because I like it, but um, I think it's more to it than that. You know, right now there's a lot of conversation, a lot of controversy, like with hydrochloroquine and other drugs. Do those really work or not? But I'm pretty convinced that Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets fight the coronavirus. And so this was medicinal. So I, I go into the drive through and there's two, you know, lines of cars. And so I had to choose which line, left or right. Now I have some quick criterion, uh, the kind of car, I know it's terrible, but the kind of car, the kind of person, I make quick judgments to decide. And so I, with my criterion, made my decision and I was wrong. And the person in front of me starts this long conversation with this poor kid with a face shield. And I'm like, oh, come on. And I, out loud, I said, really? Now, i the only one that could hear that. But it like echoed that really that I said in my car, like echoed back to me. As I heard myself, just my impatience, because the truth is, here I am getting lunch. It'll probably take four minutes for me to get a really great lunch. I'll I'll eat it on the way to where I'm going, and that'll take five minutes to eat. So in nine minutes, I'm going to have a really great lunch, and I'm getting impatient about that. Patience is hard, but it's essential in hitting a curveball. And so today, we're going to look at a New Testament passage, it refers to an Old Testament character that we're going to look at to learn. He's going to be our, not pitching coach, but patient, uh, patience coach. And so today we're going to learn about patience. And since at Chase Oaks, we don't mess around. We're going to learn, we're going to learn patience fast. In about 30 minutes, we're going to learn how to be patient. So right now, if you have your Bible app on your phone or something, go ahead and get it out. And we're going to be in James chapter 5 in the New Testament. Let's see who can get there the fastest because <laughs> we're going to learn how to be patient. So James chapter five. And, and I'm going to James because he refers to this Old Testament character, Job. And and he's writing. It's really important before we read the passage to understand that the people he's writing to. So James is writing 
to people whose life has been turned upside down. They've been thrown a major curveball, dealing with major uncertainty. Uh, James was pastor of the church in Jerusalem where Christianity starts. These are all Jewish Christians. And persecution, they're dealing with persecution that has scattered Christians all over the place, escaping persecution there in Jerusalem and the area around in Jerusalem. So they're refugees. So, I mean, we feel uncertain right now, and there are a lot of uncertainties right now. It would have been exponentially more uncertain for them. They've left their homes. They've left their farms. They left their possessions. They've left their businesses. They have no idea what they're going to do. They're, they, it's just all uncertainty. And so James writes this letter to them in part to know how to handle that. And here's one of the things that he says. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Again, if we're going to hit a curveball with prolonged difficulty like they were going through, like you and I are going through in this pandemic, be patient until the Lord's coming. Why does he talk about the Lord's coming? Because one day Jesus will return. And the Bible says that when he returns, he'll make a new heaven and a new earth, this broken, messed up world where all this bad stuff like we're dealing with happens. Uh, It won't happen anymore. And that'll be great. And we look forward to that. But until then, we're going to have to face a lot of curveballs in life. Now, it's one thing just to tell somebody, be patient. It's another thing to help understand how to be patient and how to become more patient. So he's going to do that in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, he's going to give us a model. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So we're going to look at Job like he does. But first, we have to understand what James is talking about and what we're talking about today when we talk about patience. What is what is the kind of patience we need to hit a curveball? And actually, James uses two different words, two different concepts for patience here in English in our English translation of the original Greek. It's just patience is the word. There's actually two different Greek words that he uses here that mean something different. And so uh, real quick, let's look at those. You're going to learn some Greek today, right where you are. The first word for patience that is just translated patience, the Greek word macrothumia. Macrothumia is just two words put together. Macro is long. Thumia is angry or tempered. So he's saying macrothumia be long tempered. Patience is long tempered. That's patience with other people. It's easy especially when things are stressful like they are, to be short-tempered, to be grumpy. In fact, you may have already been grumpy today. And, you know, and he's like, it's just easy. We're frazzled. And it's easy to be short-tempered. But this kind of patience is being long-tempered. That's patience with others. We'll get to that more. The next word is hupomane. Hupomane is also two Greek words put together. The word uh, means remain and under, to remain under. Think of a... Of a heavy weight, right? And, and that you're trying to carry and you're having to remain under it and keep, and, and keep on keeping on and keep on moving forward, even if it goes on for a long time. The ability to be patient in a circumstance. So one is patience with people. One is patience with a circumstance. And we see Job do this, both of these, really, really well. And that's why he says, hey, consider the patience of Job. Now, They would have his original readers uh, in James, they were Jewish Christians, so they would have known the Job story. And I want to make sure we know it, too, because it's an incredible story. 
It's it's a book in the Old Testament. In fact, um, the most people think it's the most scholars think it's actually the chronologically the very first uh, book in the Bible. I, I know Genesis is, but in terms of the earliest book written, the book of Job. And it's written about this guy who is a uh, who's got it all going on. You know, like those life is good T-shirts and, and life is good brand. Um, he would have made a great poster child for that brand because his life was awesome. He had a great marriage. He had a great family. His kids wanted to be around him. He had 10 kids. He was wealthy, one of the wealthiest people on the planet. He's a rancher with all this livestock. Um, he, his college football team seemed like it was always in the mix for the national championship. They didn't always win necessarily, but they were always in the mix of the national championship games. I mean, life was good until it wasn't, until these major curveballs came at him. Now, he didn't know why these curveballs came at him, but we do because we know uh, from the book of Job. Um, the reason for that is it's a weird story, but God and Satan are in heaven and they have this conversation. And Satan is like, hey, you know, Job, you know, life's so good for him. And he's I know he's a really godly guy. He loves you. He's the kind of person that when you go to, you know, physical church, he's like waving his hand, you know, like this when he's worshiping. And, and he's just all into everything. And he's good guy. And he's all about you. But I bet if you weren't so good to him, if life wasn't good, I bet he would turn on you. I bet he would curse you. I bet he would hate you. And, and, and so he says, if you let me put him to the test, I, I bet he'll. I bet he'll strike out if I if, if you let me throw him some curveballs. And so God says, OK, I'll give you permission to do this curveball. And it was to take his possessions. And that's what happens. And it happens quick. So Satan uh, arranges these armies, these marauding army uh, kind of people to come and take all his livestock away, steal all his livestock and so he's got all these messengers from different parts of his property coming to say, oh, man, we've lost this. We've lost this. We've lost this, which is all of his wealth. They didn't have savings accounts then. So all of his wealth is in livestock. So he went from wealthy to destitute like that. But worse is what happens next. The, while all that is happening, another message messenger comes while one messenger was still speaking. Another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you like that. He loses all of his children, seven boys, three girls. Presumably there were adult children. So their family too, their spouses, grandkids, I, just all like that. Can you imagine? At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Now, why did he shave his head? That's a good question right now. And in fact, I think we're going to see a lot more shaved heads if this keeps going on. I know they're trying to open up economy and, and open up businesses and stuff. So I don't know how long it's going to be until we can go and get our hair cut. But I bet we're going to see a whole lot more shaved heads, a whole lot more buzz cuts. Um, and, and it'd be interesting just to send in coronavirus quarantine hair pictures into our social media, uh, church social media. Why not? If you're learning how to cut your own hair and maybe you have some fails, maybe you have some successes, it would be fun to share. Um, my plan is not to shave my head. If this keeps going on, I'm just going to start wearing a hat. So you'll see me preaching in a hat, probably an Alabama hat, which I know will be annoying. But so just pray that God will open up businesses for that reason, too. 
But why did he? That's not why he shaved his head. The reason he shaved his head is that was their way of expressing grief. And imagine the grief that he was feeling. And in his grief, it says, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He knocks this curveball out of the park, maintains his faith, worships God, even in the midst of his grief. And and he did grieve, but he stays with his faith and he he hits the curveball. So we read next that Satan comes back to God and says, OK, OK, so he, he knocked that curveball. But I bet if you let me throw another curveball, I bet he would strike. I, I bet he couldn't hit it because, you know, it's one thing to lose all your stuff. But what if you allow me to affect his body, like affect his health and make him miserable? And so God allows it. And interesting, isn't it, that Satan is only able to do what God allows. That's a whole other sermon. And that should encourage us. But God allows it. And that's what happens. And so here's what here's what we read. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. He develops this disease. Now, we don't know exactly what the disease was, but we know it was incredibly miserable and he was in tremendous amount of pain. And it was also just this nasty thing. It, he was scraping these sores. So he had sore, sores all over his body. Pustules is a way to translate that. Pustule. Isn't that a terrible word? These big sores filled with pus that are running. And I, I mean, there's not a worse word in the English language than pus. I bet a lot of you right now are saying, would you stop saying that word? I, that's, I hate that word. And at one time, I made a big mistake in a sermon. I was, I don't know why, but I was talking about how I hate mayonnaise, which I do hate mayonnaise. It's disgusting. But I compared mayonnaise to pus in that sermon. I got more feedback, like negative, angry feedback from that comment than any other comment I've ever made in any sermon I've ever preached. And I've said some pretty controversial things. But that one just, so I'll never make that mistake again because that blew up. Um, so, just forget I said anything about that. But he's got this just nasty, pussy, mayonnaise thing going on. And you know, all his nerve endings are exposed. And he's in incredible pain. And in that pain, he doesn't curse God. In fact, it says in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He maintains faith. And he hits that curveball out of the park, too. Now, the next curveball is not from Satan. It's actually from his friends. So his friends come to console him. And here's what that means. So his friends come around him. He's lost everything. He's lost his kids. He's grieving. He's got, you know, all this stuff going on on his body. He's in agony. And here's their consolation. Here's their here's how they try to come around. And they say, Job, you know, the reason you've lost everything and all your kids are dead. I mean, we're sorry about that. But, you know, it's because it's your fault, because God wouldn't do this is bad theology, but God wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And so obviously this is happening because you're really not a good person. And we all thought you were a good person. You look like a good person. We all thought you were awesome. But obviously God, who knows everything, knows who you really were. To, to everybody that you know, we couldn't see, but God could see. And obviously this happened because you're just a terrible person and you need to deal with that um, so that God will you know, change this. That wasn't reality, but that was their thing. And, and he, that's a, that wasn't fair and it's a terrible thing, but he stays faithful. He hits that out of the park too. Job was an amazing person and, and we see him go through this horrible time. 
and struggle, but maintain his faith and get stronger. And and he learns he hits a curveball, three curveballs. And he does it because of the patience of Job or the perseverance of Job, as James said. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how do we develop the kind of patience of Job that he had? And remember the two words for patience, macrothumia being long tempered. Let's talk about that a little bit because we see that in Job. Again, it's easy in a stressful situation like we're in now. We know it. It's easy when we're stressed out. We're short tempered. This kind of patience is patience with other people. The ability to be long tempered, not quick to get irritated, but slow to get irritated. And we see that in James and it's uh, and it comes with his wife. So when he needs her the most, his wife, uh, you know, when he needs her support the most, his wife comes into the scene, comes into the picture and says, are you still now he's got all this stuff going on, you know, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. She's saying, are you still really going to be okay with God? Just curse God and die. What she's advocating is not that he ends his own life. But he is advocating, hey, kind of like God-assisted suicide, like curse God to the point that he'll just kill you. And look at how Job responds to his wife. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you foolish woman. And by the way, that's good. Uh, don't try that at home, men, if you're married you know, or men or you have a girlfriend or you're, uh, you know, you're married. Uh, you foolish one. Don't. I mean, you can try it if you want to, but it's probably not a good idea. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say you foolish woman. He says. You're talking like a foolish woman. That's a big difference, because we know in the book of Job at the end that she's honored just like he is. And every indication is that she was a godly person, too. She was a really solid person, too, who's having a really bad day. And that's why I think what he's saying is, hey, look, you don't sound like yourself. This is not the real you. You sound like somebody else. Because stress can bring out the worst in any of us. And at times we'll all kind of break down and we'll all all disappoint ourselves and, and say things and feel things and all that. I mean, it's just part of it. We need to be patient with ourselves that way. But but he Job is patient with her and he calls her back to what they both know to be true. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Hey, God's in control. He's you know, we're going to trust him. Right. Isn't that what we do Isn't that who we are Isn't that how we roll? It's a great example of patience. And I think that's one of the reasons she's able to come out of the story maintaining her faith, too, and being a godly person. And she hits the curveball. They both do it together in part because of his patience with her. And we need to give each other a lot of rope and a lot of space right now because this is hard. And for some of you, it's harder than others as you've lost jobs or lost income or health or emotional issues, extra anxiety or depression that's just gone wild because of all this. And, and we need to give each other a lot of rope and a lot of space and believe the best in each other and call out the best in each other. And when stress brings out the worst, to just to be a little less irritable and to give a, a lot more space, and a lot more rope and a lot more grace. And 
And that's really true as we're spending time with those closest to us, that we don't do relational damage in a stressful time because it's easy to do. It's easy not to be patient. It's easy not to be long-tempered, way easier to be short-tempered. I've seen what somebody told me this reality or statistic, this is two weeks old, that in Collin County two weeks ago, that there had been more people who whose life ended, who died as a result of domestic violence up to that point than who had died because of COVID. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm not surprised. And we've got to be careful. And and way before it gets there, to be careful in our marriages, careful in our homes, and especially those of you who are parents, and be so careful. I know it's hard with, you know, kids around all the time and trying to do school and all this kind of stuff. But one thing when you, when, when your kids do something and you're thinking about discipline, I think a great question is to ask is this. How much of this is about my child being disobedient and how much of this is about me being impatient and stressed out? Just to take a quick reality check before we discipline our kids and go, ah, you know, and all that, just say, wait a minute. Is this really about them or is this about me? Like if my children are irritating, it's not a crime to be irritating. We shouldn't discipline our kids for being annoying. Um, discipline is for crossing a clear boundary and we do discipline in a loving way, the least amount possible in order to reinforce the boundary and in a way that's calm in a way that's loving and not like I'm going to show you his boss. It's not that. And if you find yourself, if you've done that, if you violated that, let me encourage you to have a conversation with your kids and say, you know what? I'm wrong and I'm sorry. That's 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 not who I want to be. And and I, I believe God will help us be patient with each other. It's critical. We'll talk more about how God will help us do that. But Job did a great job of that kind of patience. The next kind of patience is also incredibly important. Hupomane. Two words to remain under. Again, think of a weight, okay, right? And you're remaining under. Another way to say it is to stay in it. You know, we talk about in it to win it. To stay in it and persevere and endure in a trial, especially when it goes a long time, which is hard to do. Short trials are relatively easy. Long trials are hard. Like short pain is one thing, long pain is another. Every once in a while, I have to go to the doctor to get shots, which makes me sound like a dog. But uh, I have to get cortisone shots or steroid shots. I have a rotator cuff injury. I have a knee injury. And so uh, in order to do what I like to do, I get these shots from time to time. And whenever my doctor does that, he always says, hey, this is going to really hurt. Like, it could be bad, but it's going to be really short. I can handle that. But if he said, hey, this is going to be intense, this is going to be really bad, and it's going to last six months, I'd be like, uh, I don't want it. You know, put your needle away. I'm not doing that, right? I can handle a little bit. And it's, it, this is the ability to remain under a really difficult thing like we're going through. This is not short to go for a difficult thing for a long period of time. That's hupomane. And Job shows us how to do that. Because if we're going to maintain that kind of patience, that kind of remaining under, it takes perspective. And this is the perspective he's able to maintain. Like he just told his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? What he's realizing is this. Hey, you know what? God is in charge and I'm going to trust him. And it's great when he, good things happen, but I'm going to trust him when bad things happen too. Now think about it. We know the story. He, we know something he didn't know at the time, and that is that his trouble actually came from Satan. Like, Satan is the one that threw the curveball. Satan is the one that, but God gave him permission, right? God allowed it. 
And that's important to understand. All the bad things that happen to us, all the bad curveballs, it's not that God necessarily is the one throwing the ball. He's not the one uh, making it happen. In a fallen, broken world, things happen. Like, And the Bible tells us, yeah, they're going to happen to everybody, whether you know God or not, it's going to happen. And, and yet still God allows it. And Job knew that God was in control and that God was allowing this and that he must have a purpose for allowing it. And that gets me to this perspective. If we're going to maintain, if we're going to get through it in a way where we grow, it means we learn to trust God for who he is, not for what he allows. Because we don't understand always why he allows what he allows. But if we can trust God for who he is, that'll help us get through it. Meaning, well, who is God? He's the one who's in control and he's good and he always works out his purposes. He promises to do that. That for those who believe, he will always work out his purposes, his good purposes in our life. He'll redeem it. He'll make it good. And Job knew, you know what? I don't understand this. I don't like it, but I know God is good. I know he's in control and I know he's working out his purposes. And one day we'll see that. And we're going we're gonna to reach out to him to help us get through this. But he's doing his thing. It's always hard, isn't it, when we go through a, such a difficult thing to see because we don't always see God's purposes. Usually we don't right away. Usually it takes a long time to see that. Um, Christy and I were talking about that this week because I, I made a statement. I said, man, I just wish I could talk to my dad right now um, who died a couple years ago. And she said, you know, that's I feel that way, too, about your dad. But also feel I felt that way about my mom, she said, for the last 40 years. Because when Christy was 14, her mom, who's a wonderful, godly woman, died uh, suddenly, unexpectedly. And, well, and, and, you know, you always wonder, well, why did that have to happen? And I don't know all the, all the reasons and all the stuff, maybe just what happens in a fallen world. And it, not necessarily God caused it, but God did allow it. And why? And I don't know all the reason. But I do know that it made Christy Christy. It's part of what makes her this incredible, compassionate solid, wonderful person that she is. And we see God's purposes worked out in Job's life, too. In fact, what we see is that that God, after the end of all this, it goes on for a while, but God restores everything that Job lost twice, like he doubles it. So twice the wealth, twice the family. I mean, it's weird kind of replacing family, but twice the family and gives them a long life and he has a great thing. And all that's great, but that's not the real prize that he gets from this. And key into this, because this is, I think, the most important part of the whole thing. Here's what Job says at the end of the story to God. Then Job replied to the Lord. Now, this is when God has restored every, you know, God is, he knows what's going to happen. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know, God, that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's learned that, is what he's saying in this trial. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's a profound, profound statement. I I had heard of you, but my ears had heard of you. I knew a lot about you, but now I've seen you. Now I know you. That's the prize for enduring suffering. When you and I endure suffering, that's why in James it says, we count as blessed those who have persevered. When you think of a person, think about any person, you know, if you happen to know somebody who's a godly, wonderful, joyful person who's older. And they've been through a lot. My experience is I've asked because I've asked a lot of those people, the godliest people I know who are older and said, hey, tell me about what 
What helped you know God as well as you know God? They, you know what they'll talk about? They'll not, they won't talk about the easy times in their life. They'll always talk about the biggest curveballs they face and the difficulty and, and what it means, what, how, they, how they found God in the difficulty. See, we want God to do away with difficulty. We just want God to do away. With, and, and I understand that. And that's okay to pray for that. But if we're so fixated on God fixing the problem and getting us out of the difficulty, we might miss what he has for us in the difficulty as we remain in it, as we remain under it, as we find God in it. Because when we do that, when we find him in it, he wants to walk with us through it. Then we get to a place like Job where we can say, hey, I I knew a lot about you before, but now I can see you. I really know you now. And there's not a bigger prize than that. That's why James earlier in the book tells these suffering believers, hey, you can actually be joyful about the toughest times of life because that's when God really works in us. That's when transformation really happens. And knowing that can help us remain under that kind of patience. See, that's what kind of patience we're talking about here. The patience of Job. Remember two things. Uh, One is uh, uh, is the is the ability to be patient with other people, to be long, uh, you know, to long tempered, not short tempered macrothumia. God can help us do that. And then the other is hupomane, which is um, to remain under. And God can help us do that, too. And it's really important what I'm saying right now when I say God can help us do this, because here's the great news. Christianity and, and many of you are new to Christianity and you're, you're watching online and, and somebody's invited you and it's awesome and you're here and you think, oh, man, this can be really helpful, inspirational kind of things, um, self-help kind of things. And it's helpful And the Bible is helpful as a self-help guide. It is. But it's way more than that. Christianity is not about self-help. Christianity, it's, it, the opportunity is way bigger than that. The, the heart of Christianity is not self-help and great principles and inspirational thoughts. Christianity is really about a relationship with God who wants to walk with us. He wants to know us and us know him. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to transform us. How do I develop patience? It's not just about ah, I got to gut it out. I got to choose patience. That'll get you a little ways, but not very far. What God wants to do is work in our life to develop patience from the inside out. He will help us be patient. He will help us become more patient. This is a relationship with God. And that may sound strange to you, but right now in this pandemic, the most incredible thing that might be happen to you for sure, if you don't know God, is to begin a relationship with God. See, that's the whole point of the Jesus thing, is that Jesus is God. The Bible says that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. I know that's confusing, Trinity. Uh, No, it's, it's confusing, but God, he's Father, he's three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, wanting to be reconciled to you, sent Jesus, his Son, into this world, who died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin and for my sin so that that did not stand between us and God, that we would not face his judgment. He took it on himself and, and, the, and, and he offers forgiveness as a gift to be received. And if you want to begin a relationship with God, it's really saying yes to that gift. You don't pay for a gift. There's nothing you do for a gift. You just say yes. We have nothing to pay for it with. You just say yes. You come as you are. But he doesn't leave us as we are. When we open up our life to him and say yes to him, then he comes into our life. That's the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to change us from the inside out and empower us to be difference makers in the world. 
And, and, and that's true. And, and if you don't know Jesus, you can say yes to that gift right now in your heart to say, yes, God, I want a relationship with you. And he'll come into your life. and He'll never leave you. And, uh, and if you do that, I'd love to know about that so I can send you some material to be helpful. Uh, jjones at jsoaks.org is my uh, email address, jjones at jsoaks.org. Love to know about it. Um, so, again, I can you know, send you some stuff. And, but, and for those of us who've already taken that step, it means the Holy Spirit is in our life and he wants to change us from the inside out. And one of the ways the Bible talks about that is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6. Meaning, like planting seeds. Like, if the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, what would you expect to see? How does he change us? And the fruit of the Spirit is this, these qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Meaning, if we have God in our life, we should see more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Well, right in the middle of that is patience. So this is going to get really practical here. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't, start one. But if you do... You have the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Bible says, well, how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? That we can yield to the Spirit. Meaning, say, God, I need you to control me right now because I'm out of control. I need you to fill me. I need you to empower me. I need you to control me. So this week, when you have a patience problem, and you will, at least I will, my guess is you will too. Maybe it's patience with people being long-suffering, and we want to lash out. Uh, we want to respond in a bad way. We want to and we know it. We can feel it. Take a break, just a quick break and say, Holy Spirit, God, I need you to help me be patient with this person right now to be long suffering, to be long tempered, not just to react and to give them grace and to give them and not be offended and not get all crazy. God, just help me to be long. He'll, I believe he'll help us do that. And when we find ourselves just because this is going on for so long and and maybe we're just have tremendous anxiety or depression or uh, it's just it's just so hard and we just want to give up. We can say, Holy Spirit, I need your strength right now. God, I need you to strengthen me by your spirit. Or maybe you're tempted to not remain under by doing some escape into addictive behaviors or really unhealthy behaviors and uh, just to escape and all that. Escape is not staying in it. Staying in it is staying in it. And, and looking to God to strengthen us and not go to unhealthy addiction. And, and so, God, help me not do that. God, help me to find you in this. God, help me find your strength. And I believe he will. And we're about to go to him in prayer and do that. And I'm going to and let me tell you, how I'm praying for you in this pandemic from the Job story. It's changed the way I'm praying for you and for all of us. And as I'm praying that God will lift this soon, this pandemic, I'm praying that God well, for those of you who've lost income, for those of you who've lost businesses, for those of you who have uh, lost jobs, um, I'm praying that God will restore all that times two. And he'll do it quickly. But in the meantime, I'm praying that you and I will not miss the prize that he has for us. Like Job said, I had heard of you, but now I can. I've seen you. Now I really know you because that's the real prize. With that in mind, let's go to God in prayer together. Now, Father, I thank you that you want to be in it with us. And I thank you. You don't just tell us to be patient. You show us what you teach us, what patience looks like. And you will, as you come into our life, you'll even help us develop it and grow it and become more patient. And so, Father, right now, I pray for. All the people who would say, I don't know if I have a relationship with God or not, but if that's possible, 
Amen. Like, and then the Bible says it's a gift that he paid for, Jesus paid for with his life so that I could have a relationship with God and, and he'll come into my life, begin to change me and use me to change this world and I'm in. And, and God, I invite you into my life and forgive me where I've sinned and, and empower me and change me. I, I want to I wanna live that better life that you want for me and become that kind of person that you created me to be. And, and when you commit your life to God, the Bible says he commits to you and he will never leave you, never forsake you. And for those who already have done that relationship with God, this is our opportunity to say, God, right now, I want to yield to your Holy Spirit that's in my life, your presence in my life. God, you know I need more patience with other people, patience in this circumstance. I need your strength. I need your supernatural ability. God, would you strengthen me? Would you empower me? And would you begin to change me and help me be more patient? And I believe he'll do that. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.